0: Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at Graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ.
1: I'll be reading from First Peter chapter one verses twenty through through twenty-five. First Peter chapter one verses twenty to through twenty-five. I'll be reading from the NIV. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you.
0: It surprised me when I heard it, but it was a familiar sound. It's a sound that maybe some of us in this room have heard in our lives more than others, But it's something that would be easy to identify if anyone heard it today. And hopefully this morning it's a sound that can remind us of some things that really matter when we come together to worship. We've been going through a series on Sunday mornings that we've just titled The Weights of Worship. We've been thinking about uh, the fact that it matters and that worship is a way in our lives that we have a solid sort of pillar that holds us together, that keeps us from being blown from side to side by the winds that surround us, that keeps us grounded. And so we've thought about different aspects of our worship. We've spent time thinking about what it means to sing and what kinds of attitudes we pour out in our hearts in song. We focused on what it means to give. What happens when we give to the Lord? What happens when we gather around the Lord's table and commune together, as we've done this morning? We thought about prayer. What do I need to know when I pray to God? And so, as we consider worship, we've come to the part of worship where we focus on hearing a word from the Lord. Having the privilege of preaching is not something that I take lightly, it's something I don't take for granted. It's a serious responsibility. And I'm also aware, especially on a week like this where we're focused on a message like this one, I'm aware of the temptation for any person standing up in front of other people to make it about them, to make it about the one who's standing and speaking. We live in a world where we can find famous professional speakers or even celebrity kinds of ministers that uh, seem to be focused on getting a name recognition, and that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what any of us here want to do. We understand that temptation that's inherent in standing in front of others. And yet at the same time, we want to value the importance of hearing a word from the Lord. When we sing together... We're praising God. When we pray, we're speaking to God. When we commune around the Lord's table, we're honoring God. When we give, we're giving and offering to God. But at what point when we worship do we let the Word of God speak into our lives? At what point do we hear a word from Him to us? When we come together to worship, we need a word from the Lord. And as Pete has read for us, In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter draws on familiar language from the prophet Isaiah to say there's something that's going to last forever, that human beings are of perishable seed, but when we're Christians, we've been born of a word that endures. And we're going to take a few minutes this morning and just think about why that enduring word is part of our worship. And to do that, we're going to think about a familiar sound the sound that I heard a few days ago. A few days ago, I was standing in an area of the Garden of Gethsemane. You can go there today. There are a couple of different entrances uh, that you can go into to see part of the garden, but there's uh, part of the area on the Mount of Olives around there, the Garden of Gethsemane, that's uh, sort of walled off and that groups can come in and spend some time and so, as I've mentioned in the, the bulletin leading up to this trip, several of us were able to spend 10 days in Israel. Uh, one of the group members of our group uh, is Phil Greer, who is uh, the father-in-law of Jack Gilchrist, for those of you who know uh, Jack. And Phil had a shirt that he wore one day that his wife gave him that had a caution warning on it, and it said, caution, may spontaneously start talking about Israel. And that was just a shirt she gave him, I think, in anticipation of what happens after a trip like this. And I kind of feel like I need to start every conversation I have for the next few weeks with, I may spontaneously use some illustrations from Israel. So I apologize in advance. But it was hard for me as I was reflecting on the different aspects of worship and the Word of the Lord, it was hard for me not to reflect on how powerful words are, especially when you feel the connection in a place like the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, there were a lot of sounds in the garden that would not have been there in the first century. There were sounds of traffic that you can still hear uh, outside, cars and motorcycles. You can hear souvenir salespeople uh, that are calling out the prices for what they have to offer. Uh, There were several groups that were in there with us, and so a lady who was sitting not too far from me was playing some music softly on her iPhone. There were a lot of sounds there, but there was one sound that stood out to me and even some others on our group, the sound somewhere off in the distance of a rooster crowing. Now again, depending on where you grew up, some of you have heard that sound more than others. If you grew up in a farm or a rural environment, you're very familiar with that. Growing up in the suburbs, I was just automatically assuming, watching movies and TV, that when the sun came out, a rooster crowed once like an alarm clock, and then that was it. And then everybody woke up and went along a day, and the rooster waited till the next morning to crow once like an alarm clock. And it wasn't until we were on a mission trip to Ukraine years ago, and we rented a farmhouse that I realized there is no limit to how many times a rooster will crow, uh, and there's no rhyme or reason sometimes. It'll just happen. Well, that's what happened even in the garden. There were, there were areas around where families would have chickens and roosters, and you could hear one crowing. It's hard not to be reminded of what Peter experienced when he was so sure things would work out one way, and he heard a word from Jesus that things would work out differently. He's reminded of that when the rooster crowed. We even visited a church, a Byzantine church, that was built over the area where traditionally they say that Peter denied Jesus. And if you look at the top of that building, uh, where there would be maybe a weather vane at the top, you have a rooster right there. It's almost as if you're commemorating this time where Peter denies Jesus as a reminder of the power of Jesus' words and his understanding of what is going to happen. So I want us to think this morning about this familiar sound, what it meant to Peter, and what it might mean to us today. The reason I wanted us to begin with this quotation from 1 Peter chapter 1 is that I find it interesting that Peter is pointing to a word from the Lord, a word from God that's going to endure... And Peter had the privilege of spending time with Jesus as we've already been reminded of as Michael read for us this morning the word made flesh right when we preach the word we're not just preaching the word of God we're preaching the word made flesh that's discussed in the word of God it's both together and I want us to think about the nature of Jesus words and how that reminds us of the importance of reading God's word today One aspect of Jesus' words that Peter experienced was the life-giving nature of those words. Think about what happens in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, coming off the heels of one of uh, the greatest miracles that you could imagine, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. You have a crowd of people that's together and it seems like they're there for the show. They're there for the signs. They, they've seen someone who could multiply loaves and all of a sudden could feed thousands. In fact, John's account tells us that after the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to make Jesus king by force. There was a crowd there that was excited. And so Jesus has to point them to the true meaning of His mission. It's not about creating a a show or a sign for the sake of just impressing others it was about telling them through the miracles that these attest to who i am and he gave them a hard teaching and as a result of that many turned away and so jesus turns to his apostles and asks them what they want to do would they also like to leave and notice how peter responds in john chapter 6 He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Peter had seen miracles. He'd seen Jesus feed the 5,000. He'd seen Jesus turn water into wine. But he doesn't say, where shall we go? No one else can put on a show like you can. No one else can perform miracles like you can. He'd seen Jesus gather crowds, people who were excited to be around Him. But Jesus doesn't say, where else shall we go? You're the most popular person we've ever known. You're the most accomplished teacher I've ever gotten to meet. He says there's something about your words. You have words of eternal life. They're life-giving words. Jesus' teaching as one with authority was what seemed to impress Peter and seemed to impress others. So when we think about the life Giving nature of Jesus' words, it reminds us of why we come together and spend time in God's Word. Why is it that we carve out time to think about the Word of God? Because it gives us life. Now, sometimes we like to give Peter a hard time, and for good reason. The apostles sometimes had difficulty catching on to what Jesus was really trying to teach. But here, Peter seems to hit the nail right on the head that there are words that give life that Jesus has. And that's a characteristic of God's Word, both in the Old and New Testaments. In Nehemiah chapter 8, for example, when uh, Nehemiah has worked so long with the people and they've built up uh, the wall around Jerusalem again and they're trying to revitalize this important place and this important people of God... In Nehemiah chapter 8, they read the law of the Lord. It causes people to weep. It causes them to weep because they understand how far they've fallen. You know, there are times when before I can allow God's Word to give me life, I'm going to have to do a little bit of grieving. I'm going to have to do a little bit of weeping. Because I'm going to realize how far off the mark I've been. We also are reminded that there were those who not only were reading the words of the law, but were explaining it to the people so they could understand what it meant. It was important that they didn't just hear the words, but they knew those words meant something. Life-giving words. In John chapter 8, Jesus would say that the truth shall set you free. Sometimes that means we accept some challenging truths from Scripture. The idea that all of us are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God, that's tough to hear. It's tough to hear in a culture that seems to shield us from any sort of concepts that we've done anything wrong or that we could make any choice that isn't correct. And yet God's Word tells us some challenging truths. We also find out some powerful life-giving truths. We're made in the image of God, Why do we have self-worth? Because we have a Creator who made us in His image. It remains true. No matter what else our culture tells us, we need to be worthy. We in the church are called to love one another. Why are we called to love one another? Because it's just a good thing to do or because it might feel good? Because God loved us. His life-giving words tell us how to live. But Peter also had some experience with Jesus' words, and specifically their accuracy notice what happens in matthew chapter 26 is uh, jesus is talking about what's going to take place and he says to peter truly i say to you that this very night before a rooster crows you will deny me three times peter said to him even if i have to die with you i will not deny you now i have to say that if i were peter here this morning i would also want to point out the second half of this verse Which is, all the disciples said the same thing too. So, in other words, Peter's not the only disciple that seemed confident at this point he was going to stick with Jesus no matter what. But Jesus does specifically say that before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And so when Peter hears the crowing of the rooster... He would understand the accuracy of Jesus' words, even if it didn't feel it, even if everything in his being was just sure that this wasn't accurate. God's word is true. Jesus' words were true. One of the other places we went last week was Caesarea Philippi. It's uh, quite a journey from uh, Galilee and from some of the areas we usually associate with Jesus and his apostles. And he seemed to go there for a specific reason. He went to a place where you had these altars to uh, different kinds of of gods like Pan that they worshipped. You had uh, a summer palace by Herod that he had built there. It was named for Caesar. And in the middle of all of this, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, Peter has another one of those responses that's outstanding. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And then Jesus says some words that Peter doesn't think are accurate. Jesus says that the Son of God is going to be delivered to the hands of men, that He's, he's going to be crucified, that there's, there's an ending that doesn't sound like the ending Peter had envisioned, and so he rebukes Jesus. Those words don't seem accurate. I wonder if he thought of that as the rooster crowed. I wonder if you realize, you know, the very thing that I told Jesus would never happen seems to be taking place. Jesus knew what Peter would do because the words of Christ, the Word of God, are accurate. They give us things that even if it goes against the grain of what culture teaches us or even if it seems a little counterintuitive, we can rely on those things. We can rely on them because they're true. Jesus told Peter he would betray him and standing around a charcoal fire when Peter's asked, weren't you one of them? Didn't I see you with Jesus? Weren't you part of that group? Peter says, no, in the strongest possible language. We need to be reminded of the accuracy of God's word. One of the things that's on display in the Israel Museum I, I want to share with you because we've talked about uh, both of these things in the last uh, several months is We've looked in sermon time and also in class time. But some discoveries that have been made, one is called the Tel Dan inscription. It's there on the left, a reference to the house of David. The other on the right is the Pontius Pilate inscription. A reference to Pontius Pilate that was discovered in Caesarea Maritima. Now, why would I share both of these pictures? Because there were scholars, there were individuals who when they read Scripture said, you know, I know that the Old Testament talks a lot about David, but we just don't have any evidence that there actually was a king named David who lived. We don't have any solid evidence outside Scripture. And then, wouldn't you know it, they discovered a reference to David. Or Pontius Pilate. There were many who claimed that the Gospel writers just sort of invented Pontius Pilate, that this is not someone that had existed until, wouldn't you know it, they found An inscription with his name on it it's great to be reminded of the truth of Scripture and so even when it doesn't make much sense even when we're tempted to resist it God's words are accurate why do we spend time thinking about uh, his word in worship not only because it's divine but because of its divinity because it's from God we can trust its accuracy We can trust that if I've got something that I think, if here's a way I think I should handle it, and God's Word says something different, that I need to conform to His Word and not the other way around. It can be dangerous if I start making God's Word into my own image. Or if I start reading Scripture, and by the time I'm done, it sounds a lot like the opinion I already had when I started reading it. God's words are life-giving. They're accurate. But Peter also knew the forgiveness that was in the words of God. I've mentioned the garden already look at what jesus says when he's in the garden when he's wrestling with what's going to happen in prayer now this was a time that scripture tells us that peter and james and john were asleep and yet here's what jesus says he goes a little beyond them he fell on his face and prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me yet not as i will but as you will It's striking to me that Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that Peter was going to deny Him. He knew that the apostles were going to uh, desert Him, that He was going to have to go through this alone. He knew that. He was grieving for that. But even in the garden, as He's wrestling with these issues, He's saying, not My will, but Yours be done. He's submitting to the will of the Father. There's something powerful About the fact that Jesus is willing to go through with this, even knowing what he already knew. In fact, Luke tells us that an angel is ministering to Jesus, but also that at that same time, Jesus is sweating in agony as if drops of blood. Jesus didn't skip over the tough parts of being a human being, of experiencing humanity. He he didn't get a pass from the challenges of temptation or of pain, he endured those all of those without sin yet he endured them and so even after jesus knew what his apostles were going to do especially in john's gospel you see this long prayer where jesus prays for his apostles he prays for his disciples the ones that he knew would betray him because not only in jesus words do we find life do we find truth we also find forgiveness There were forgiving words that Jesus speaks. And John tells us at the end of John's Gospel in John 21 that Peter has kind of a second chance in a conversation with Jesus. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. A couple of things that stand out to me here. One is there's a threefold repetition which by the way john also uses the phrase here for a charcoal fire peter denied jesus around the charcoal fire now he's going to affirm his love for him but he also gives him three different times as we're thinking about those uh, three denials Uh, some have looked at the different terms the different words that's used for love here and said maybe that that means something jesus is using one word and peter's using another I don't know that there's a lot of distinction we can make with that. I think the important part is that Jesus is giving him three opportunities to affirm that he is going to be faithful. And notice the way Peter responds at the end. He says, Lord, you know all things. That's not something we read in Matthew 16 when Jesus says that he's going to be crucified and Peter rebukes him. That's not going to happen. That's not something we read in Matthew 26 when Jesus says, you're going to betray me. And Peter says, I'll never betray you. It's as if at this point, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. There's no point in me telling you something that you don't already know. And Jesus gives him a mission. Tend my sheep. There is forgiveness that is available. And in affirming this mission, Peter goes on and does incredible things. God uses him to preach the Gospel for the very first time. To preach the Gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. To even record words of Scripture. And it's in those inspired words that Peter would remind Christians, don't forget that you've been born again by a Word that will endure. That gives life. That's accurate. That shows us how to have forgiveness. Those words guide our lives. Paul would write to the Christians in Rome and would say, even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just like Jesus knew what Peter was going to do when he prayed in the garden, just like he knew what would happen with his disciples when he went to the cross, Jesus chose to offer that salvation anyway to those who had already failed him and that he knew would. Paul reminds us that we do the same thing. We probably don't have to be reminded of our sins, but it's good for us not to lose sight of the ways we fall short. When's the last time I denied being a Christian? When's the last time I stood around the charcoal fire of people that I wanted to impress? And I said what I thought they wanted to hear. Or I downplayed my faith. Or I thought the discipleship wasn't a big deal. Or I kind of laughed along at something that they thought was funny even though I know I'm not supposed to. All of the ways that we do that, when we hear the rooster crow like Peter, we're reminded of the times we've sacrificed our faith on the altar of trying to please someone else or trying to impress another person. And yet we can find forgiveness. We can find it in the Word Of God sometimes scripture functions the same way that rooster crow did it points us back to something we've already heard that we've already been told but we need to remember why do we come together to worship and spend time in God's Word we need a word from the Lord a word that gives life are you looking for life this morning are you searching for meaning there's one place to find it that gives truth that gives accuracy are you looking for something you can trust that's trustworthy there's only one place to find it and that gives forgiveness do you need to be forgiven this morning there's one place to find it it may be that you need to submit your will to gods this morning that you need to change your life because the word that was made flesh came to earth jesus showed us how to live and showed us the one who loves us and it may be that you need to put christ on in baptism and begin that journey. It could be that what you need most this morning are prayers. Right after this worship time, if you go out this doorway, there are a couple of our shepherds in a room there who would love to sit down with you and pray for you. But it may be that the whole church family can pray for you and encourage you. Let's make sure we live here today determined to be shaped by God's Word, to live a life that's modeled after the Word made flesh, and to share that Word with others. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing together.